Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on the Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Anyway, Drew and I are recording this week's show on Friday, August 4th, 2023. And uh, Drew, you were the, the one who suggested this as we were putting together tonight's show. But uh, folks, we lost a giant this week. And, and again, it's kind of ironic to, to use the word giant since most of us know this guy simply as Pee Wee. But Paul Rubens, the very talented veteran of the Groundlings, in fact, his Pee Wee Herman character was, was birthed at that improv comedy troupe, passed away this past Sunday, July 30th, at the age of 70, uh, after a six-year battle with cancer. And Drew, I saw what you tweeted out on Sunday Night Monday, and obviously this is a guy who, who meant a lot to you when you were growing up, right? Yeah, and, and continued to mean a lot. I mean, I saw, I don't know if you saw his Broadway show when that came back, but it no, was just, No, I, you know, I missed it in both L.A. Uh, you're killing me. <laughs> well, the thing, do you, have you ever seen, and I want to say it was for Showtime, they taped the, this, and this was ahead of the Pee Wee Saturday morning show, but they taped the Groundling show. I, for example, it's Phil Hartman. I mean, again, a fellow Groundling member as, as Captain Carl. Yeah. And I mean, it, oh, it it's wonderful. And and that's the thing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It started in L.A. and then moved to Broadway uh, in, what was that, 2003, 2004? Somewhere around there. It might have been a little later, actually. Okay. Yeah. But it okay. was... They recorded it for, I think, HBO, but it was just the best. It was just so great. Mm. 2011, Jim. So, 2011. Yeah. My mistake. Yeah. Okay. It's just, uh, um, it, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And we'll talk about Paul later in the show. But yeah. Yeah. yeah well, the second half of today's show. But first, folks, the news. And as is nowadays, the news portion of today's show is brought to you by our new sponsor, Touring Plan's own travel agency. Those obviously knowledgeable folks can now help you book your very next trip to Walt Disney World, plus toss in a subscription to Touring Plans for free. So if you're headed to Florida anytime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Okay, folks, you know, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Drew and I are recording this week's show on Friday, August 4th, and 24 years ago this week, Drew, Brad Bird's Iron Giant debuted in 2,179 theaters around North America, and unfortunately, not all that many people turned out. In fact, I, I distinctly remember going to this thing at the AMC Kingsborough Theater here up in New Hampshire. We went, Nancy and I went opening night. I want to say we went to the seven o'clock screening, and there were four of us in the theater. Now, mind you, when it was over. The, the two couples stood up and walked toward each other and just blithered about, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that a great movie? Why aren't more people here? And, you know, long story short, there weren't a whole lot of people in any theaters around the country. The opening weekend, 
this Warner Brothers animation film only made $5.5 million, and over its entire six-week-long run in, in North American theaters, uh, only sold $23 million worth of tickets. And uh, now, jump ahead nearly a quarter of a century, and this Brad Bird film is recognized as an animation masterpiece. And again, forgive me, I'm bringing this up because we're now five and a half weeks. <laughs> it's been five and a half weeks since Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, was first uh, released to theaters. And to date, this Kirk D'Amico film has only made $15 million domestic, $24 million overseas, worldwide gross of a total of $40 million. And what I found fascinating, Drew, was drilling down into this early today. When Iron Giant uh, was produced in, in the late 90s, it had a budget of $70 million. And what's interesting is that Ruby Crackett, we jump ahead again, almost a quarter century, Ruby Gilman also only had a budget of $70 million, um, but, but has a really great look, and it, it's funny and loose, and, but at the same time, it's also a very, very different media landscape right now. I mean, for example, just three weeks after Gilman debuted in theaters, this Kirk D'Amico movie was available, uh, digital HD and on Amazon Video and over on iTunes. And while it is not officially confirmed, the Blu-ray of Teenage Kraken is supposed to hit store shelves uh, later this month on August 15th. Uh, and <laughs> I bring this up tonight, folks, because as Drew meant, has mentioned on earlier shows, uh, it's Guillermo de Toro who said that, what is it, buying physical media these days is a moral imperative. Is that right, Drew? That's, that's it. But you found the, the actual quote. So you're okay, share you want to share? share that with us? You, you no, share no, no, it with no, us. You, you, first. you found you... it. Oh. <laughs> okay. They, they, this is what Guillermo tweeted out back in May. Physical copies in the age of streaming are a moral Fahrenheit 451 level duty, which I love how wonky he got there. But anyway, look, folks, if you could do Guillermo and Kirk a favor, uh, head over to Amazon or your favorite online retailer and, and buy an advanced copy of Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. Mind you, I'm not saying it's going to be the next Iron Giant, but... Tell you what, in 24 years, we'll we'll circle back here. I'll be 88 then, and and we'll see. Okay. Anyway, moving on to the other news of the day. Now, Drew, you were at Annecy back in June, and when we were pre gaming, I asked you about the inventor, and I guess it was shown as a work in progress there, right? Yes. It, it was shown there. I was so scrambled just trying to get through my days. I did not even know that. It was, but you know who told me to watch it? Like right as I was going to Annecy was that Bob Peterson said, make sure you watch The Inventor because uh, it was obviously done by an ex-Pixar mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. And um, I would love to see it. I, I still need to see it. But it's uh, Jim... Capo Bianco, who there if we you go. are an animation fan, you know mm -hmm. his work. You know he worked oh, on yeah. everything from, you know he worked on the animated sequence for Mary Poppins Returns, which we love. Mm -hmm. He was a writer on mm -hmm. Ratatouille. He worked mm -hmm. on Lion King. He worked on Finding Dory, Inside Out, Monsters Inc., Dinosaur, Fantasia 2000. Yep. I mean, this guy's a legend, and mm -hmm. he had a short film a few years ago that was also about Da Vinci. Mm -hmm. Um, but Did now, he really? Yes, oh. this is sort of an okay. expansion on that short. But I, I've, I've heard it's wonderful. It's got a great voice cast. Um, I promise mm -hmm. to watch it, Jim. 
Now I sound like you when I... Okay, okay. Yeah. Hey, there we go. I was about to say, hey, you know, hey, you're working my yeah. side of the yeah. street here. All right. You know, you're talking about films you haven't seen yet. But yeah, as Drew just mentioned, this is a new stop motion puppet and 2D hand-drawn anime feature that follows uh, Leonardo da Vinci after he leaves Italy for France. And... It's basically the the waning days of Da Vinci's life. And so he's now in the French court. And what's fascinating to me is sort of a, him ruefully looking back over his life and trying to figure out, more to the point, what's the, the actual meaning of life? And I have to admit, my other reason for you know talking about this today, because again, it's going to be released here in the States. In fact, Blue Fox Entertainment, after it was shown at Annecy back in June, acquired the stateside distribution rights. Uh, it's going to be released to theaters uh, August 25th of this year. But I also, I was kind of intrigued to see uh, Don Hahn was an executive producer on this thing. But I guess given that Don also worked on Lion King, it kind of makes sense that, that he and Jim would be connected on this thing. So anyway, put that on your calendar, folks. Now, mind you, you may need to go to the Inventor website uh, to find a theater near you. Doesn't seem to be a huge distribution thing that's going on. But but again, the Inventor, August 25th. And since we are now talking about new stop-motion puppet movies, I guess we should also talk about old stop-motion puppet movies. And uh, Drew, have have you ever seen the Puppetoon movie? I mean, the, this was initially released to theaters in, in 87, and, and again, because I'm old, I, I did actually see it in a Ridley for Real theater, but it was released on Blu-ray, I want to say back in 2013. Did, did you catch it then? Or? No, I never have seen this. Oh, okay. Well, this is a celebration of the stop-motion shorts that sci-fi and fantasy uh, film pioneer George Pal. I mean, you probably know him for the original War of the Worlds film from, yes. from the 50s. Anyway, prior to that, he was doing these puppetone films for, for Paramount. And what's interesting is Arnold Leibovitz, put together this wonderful film back in 87 that celebrated these shorts. And uh, when it came out on Blu-ray in 2013, there was such a strong reaction that Arnold thought, well, I'll go back into the vault and crank out another copy. And so we got Puppetoon's Movie Volume 2 in December of 2020, which also uh, got an enthusiastic response from animation fans. So, so Arnold decided, hey, one more time. So now uh, we are getting Puppetoon Movie Volume 3, which becomes available September 1st of this year. Uh, in fact, if you want to order an advanced copy, you can do so by going over to puppetoon.net. Now, that said, I feel like we, 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 I don't know if the proper phrase here is trigger warning, but I, I feel like we should put a tiny little warning out there. I mean, you got to remember that George Pal made his puppetoons back in the 30s and the 40s. And this was back during a time when people had interesting ideas about what was entertaining. You could really lean into some racial stereotypes back then in mainstream media. Uh, don't get me wrong. The, the, in this collection, there are things like 1946's Together in the Weather, which features two characters called Punchy and Judy, uh, which, Drew, I think you'll be fascinated by this. 
this is Freddie Moore stepping away from Disney, uh, where he, he you know was famous for design, oh, wow. designing appealing characters like you know hugely appealing characters like Jiminy Cricket and the Seven Dwarfs and the like. So he was was working with Pal on this show, but but on the other hand, in this same collection, you're gonna find uh, potentially offensive films like 1945's Hot Lip Jasper and 1946's. Jasper's Derby, which, uh, again, just really lean into the racial stereotypes of this era. So so uh, seriously, folks, know that going in. And I think you kind of have to approach this as an animation fan and try to appreciate the genuine artistry of, of George Powell and what he does in stop motion while... Also trying to overlook some incredibly out-of-date, really aging poorly uh, depictions of African-Americans. All right. Totally, totally, totally changing the subject here. Uh, Drew, as we were pre-gaming the show, you came up with some animation-related news items you wanted to talk up. And uh, the first on the pile here is Snoopy Presents One-of-A-Kind Marcy. We, we got a trailer for that this week, right? Yeah, did you watch the trailer? Or I, did you just see no, I, I mentioned the trailer? <laughs> what was interesting is before you sent me the link, I had seen... I mean, again, I'm a longtime Peanuts fan. So this is a school election? What is the gimmick of the storyline here? Yeah, I don't really know what the storyline was. I just think that the animation for these new Peanuts things are pretty Oh, no, no. They're amazing. And, I mean, it's just... Yeah. You know, it feels very much like the Bill Melendez stuff, the the actual animation. But, you know, I think the step up in quality when it comes to the backgrounds and that sort of thing, it really has brought these things that, that we love from the, the 60s and the 70s into the 2020s. I mean, I, it, it looks great. Yeah, I have no idea if anyone's watching any of these, but, you know, <laughs> Apple keeps putting them out, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah, all right. And speaking of things that will be coming out soon, uh, we have our uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, we were just talking about the Blu-ray of Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken, but this is the Sony Pictures animation, the, the huge hit. Yes. Uh, when is it coming out? So the digital version will be out on Tuesday, the day that this episode comes out. And then the Blu-ray, 4K, mm -hmm. et cetera, will be out September 5th. So mm -hmm. will you okay. be able to wait for the Blu-ray or will you just have to buy the digital version because you are so enamored mm -hmm. with it? But Well, again, I, I'm sorry. I'm firmly siding with Guillermo. You know, a moral imperative, got to buy the physical media, which Nancy, again, keeps pointing out. I buy them and don't watch them, but I have them. You have them if you need them. And it looks like this one will have a lot of really <laughs> great special features. So, you know. Mm -hmm. um, okay. It's a great film. It's cool, a great cool, cool. film. Yeah. All right. Moving on now, you had also brought up the topic of Disenchanted? Yes, I think you're the only one that watched all of Disenchanted, but it's finally coming to an end, Jim. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I mean, oh, dang, it, you know, I mean, I, am I wrong? <laughs> no, I mean, I guess what's intriguing to me is, you know, face it, just in the same window of time, you know, we had Futurama come back and, and this was very much Futurama taking on sword and sorcery, the Lord of the Rings, you know, that sort of thing. I enjoyed it, but at the same time, it just... 
it never quite coalesced into something that was as pleasing as Futurama. I mean, there's some, some wonderful characters. The king and the, the little devil character. and But yeah, oh God, the elf. Yes. So this is it, officially. It heads into the sunset now, right? Yes, the last episodes, which they're calling part five. I don't know if that's season five or I don't know what. But that'll mm-hmm. be out on September 1st on Netflix, so... Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. I will make the time. Every so often, they'd they'd have a wonderful episode. All right. And then finally, our friend at G-Kids, who, again, want to remind you, you know, they're the ones who are bringing us the boy and the heron come December. Before that, what have they got coming now, Drew? Well, they put out the Neon Genesis Evangelion box set, I think, last year or the year before. That was so great. And now they are putting out Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.01, Thrice Upon a Time, which was the <laughs> the final movie in the uh, Evangelion Rebuild series. And it'll be available on a standard Blu-ray, a digital download, and a deluxe 4K box set that has all the goodies that you could possibly want. I'm very deep into the Evangelion Rebuild movies right now, so I'm so excited that this is coming out and you know jim if you've never seen it neon genesis evangelion it's very much worth your while i'm sure alice has seen it at the very least no that that's it exactly i'm i'm enthusiastic by proxy she talks about this all the time so wow that is quite the title though yes it is a complete (laughs) complete marble mouth (laughs) title but you know whatever I just, I, I feel like I should write that on a whiteboard and then determine what the actual total is. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, folks, that completes the, the news portion of this week's show. And when Drew and I get back, we will look back fondly on the career of Paul Rubens. And we're back. Okay. I don't know entirely where to start here. I mean, the thing about Paul Rubens is... When you think about all the people he worked with and all the the careers he touched, you know, um, well, there's a wonderful story that Tim Burton shared just this week. Because remember, Tim Burton's first feature film to be released theatrically was Pee-wee's Big Adventure back in July of 1985. And uh, what Burton shared is that, remember, he he was a guy who had worked in animation at, at Disney on special projects. We got the Vincent stop motion thing and then we got his live action frankenweenie the the featurette in december of 84 and don't forget his hansel and gretel that was so bizarre that it only aired once uh, on the disney channel on halloween you know, the, one year and that was it in fact the only time i got to see any of that remember uh was it lacama that had the burton exhibit or or was it? Yeah, the... it might have been like my. I saw it at the Met, or no, we're not at the there Met. There we go. The... Yeah, it was at the Met. That's right. Yeah, yeah. At the mm-hmm. same time as the Marina Abramovich thing, where she stared at people. It was like the most. Ca- <laughs> it was the most people I had ever seen in there, at the same time. Uh, but yeah, anyway. Wow. Yeah, no, but yes, as part of the Burton exhibit, and I think you're right, I may have seen it in New York at the Met. That was the only place I got, they had a monitor that ran like a five minute long clip 
from it and and, and yeah a, a very japanese reimagining of the story of hansel and gretel uh, the, the witch alone was, was was worth the price of admission but anyway tim told the story on, on social media this week about how he got the gig to direct peewee's big adventure and evidently, Paul had watched the live action Frankenweenie and noticed the wallpaper in the background of one of the scenes and thought, the guy who picked that out will get what I'm going to, I'm trying to do with the Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And, you know, they met and they agreed to collaborate. And then we got that wonderful film, uh, which, by the way, did you see? Where the Cabazon dinosaurs uh, are now paying tribute to, to Pee Wee. Yes, I thought that was very cute. I'm I'm usually pretty annoyed when they paint those dinosaurs, but I thought it was a great, loving yeah. tribute to yeah. Paul. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right. All right. If you remember the scene in in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where Pee Wee stops at that famous roadside attraction where you have the giant concrete apatosaur and you have the giant concrete T Rex. What they've done there is they've actually painted the T-Rex this week. So it looks like it's wearing Pee-wee's trademark gray suit. And again, just it, uh, a fun idea. But anyway, Drew, you wanted to point out today, I mean, people, of course, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show, the, the amazing Broadway version of the Pee-wee show. And I talked about the Showtime special and, of course, his, you know, his live action theatrical film. But you wanted to talk about kind of a lesser uh, celebrated aspect of Paul Rubin's career. And that, that's a lot of his voice work for animation, right? Yeah, not only that, but the original Pee-wee's Playhouse was a wonderful celebration of animation. And not only animation, but every kind of, you know, style of animation. There were old, yeah. you know, 30s and 40s black and white cartoons that he would show. There were... I was about to mention the the penny claymation, the penny claim that or, was, or the little dinosaurs you know, uh, that lived in the the house. Do you remember yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get it was out. pretty amazing. It was. It was. It was aspect. such a lovely celebration of of animation mm. and puppetry and all of these kind of things that he he mm. loved. But yeah, mm. he did do some really amazing voice work. Obviously, Disney fans know him as Captain Rex and DJ mm -hmm. Rex on Star Tours. Um, yeah. But he got that gig, yeah. according to our friend Mark Eads, after Mark saw him as the voice of the spaceship in Flight of the Navigator, which is another great performance. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Though I, I think it's also worth noting here that wasn't the original voice. Didn't they bring in Billy Barty? And, and everybody agreed that listening to the, I guess Billy was pretending to be a salty old sea captain or something like that. And everybody was like, no, <laughs> this isn't going to work. You know, let the, yeah. you know, let, let's get somebody else. But, and, and what I love about that is he got both of those gigs before Pee-wee really broke through. Yeah. The very first thing that Michael uh, J. Fox appeared in. Oh, Midnight that... Madness. Yeah, he is in Midnight Madness, which was a Disney movie. Yeah. yeah. It, no, that's that's why I was bringing it up, because it's it was Disney's attempt at doing, you know, kind of an Animal House, because isn't Stephen First in that thing yeah. as well? Yeah, it was uh, sort of Animal House yeah. slash Porky's, but PG, so there, there were, neither, you, oh, yeah. <laughs> it did not translate. Oh, yeah. 
No, but but in the middle of it, there, there's a like a fight in a, an arcade, and in in the middle of the scene is is Pee Wee in like a cowboy outfit, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, anyway, again, what I love is that he was on Disney's radar, and more to the point, he got both of these voice gigs. Flight of the Navigator, and again, uh, you know, doing the voice of Rex for Star Tours before Pee Wee broke, you know, in a big way. And yeah, I think Mark I, Mark tells the story of calling him on the set so that he was in production, but he hadn't, I don't think the episodes had come out yet. But he brought such a lovely innocence uh, to Rex that, yeah, like, you know, it's yeah. my first time, you know, it's like. Oh, no, no, such, no. It, 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 yeah. You know, I, I have to admit, the way that attraction began, I understand it's your first flight. Well, it's mine, too. From there, it's the right voice. It's the right tone. Uh, and more to the point, you know, when you listen to that attra- attraction now, <laughs> hear Rex screaming. It is very much Pee-wee. Very, oh, excuse me, very much Paul Rowan. So. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, you you were talking about the, uh, some of the other uh, animated stuff. The, yeah, uh, well, I mean, obviously, the Chiodo Brothers animation for Pee-wee's mm-hmm. Big Adventure is just so iconic and so great. And I, I loved Pee-wee's Big Holiday, but that was that was definitely something that was missing was that stop motion yeah. animation. Yeah. But it's still a lovely yeah. movie. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, he was Locke in Nightmare Before Christmas. He voiced a role in the Teacher's yep. Pet movie, mm-hmm. both Smurfs mm-hmm. movies, a ton of TV stuff. Mm. I mean... It's just incredible. But, you know, what What you and I wanted to bring up, obviously, was mm-hmm. the initial version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And yeah. he was Roger Rabbit. Um, mm-hmm. And he was great. He was a great Roger Rabbit. No, he, he would have, you know, don't get me wrong, no disrespect to, to Charles Fleischer, who did a wonderful job in, you know, the finished Robert Zemeckis film. But those tests that folks, you can look at them online now, and, and more to the point, kind of where disney was going with this film at that time of course this was before spielberg was on on board so uh, what the plan was basically they were just going to use disney characters right i mean well and there were a lot more original characters there was that kind of like detective kind of gruff oh yeah you know who was yeah who was threatening eddie and telling him this was his case Mm. and and honestly the thing that was worse about that one that was really bad was that jessica was such a i know this is a children's show but she was a real piece of work she no she she was the villain right like she was a manipulator that's yeah yeah that's my understanding that in this version of the the, and again this kind of adhere much closer to the original gary wolf book disney you know i i guess acquired the project while it was still in galleys and then attempted to, you know, I mean, again, this is that weird time when Disney is trying to be ambitious. They really feel, you know, and this is the irony. They, they're trying to up their game because they feel Steven Spielberg breathing down their neck. You know, the whole notion of he was trying to become the, you know, the next Walt Disney along with George Lucas. And the, the family audience was walking away quickly from Disney. So this was, you know, one of the films that they were really hoping would put them back on the map. And and, and they just couldn't get it made. You know, in, in fact, there's the famous story about they didn't they take it to Disney themselves took it to Zemeckis and he's like, there's no way you can make this. You, you know, you're too tired. You're too old. 
you know, you're too out of touch with, you know, where the audience is. Uh, it was only in, after Eisner came on board that, you know, actually put gas in the tank that, you know, people like Spielberg and Zemeckis came back to it, though. Wasn't, just a quick, quick side note here, isn't there the story about how Zemeckis had so little confidence in Disney that didn't he want Don Bluth to do the animation originally? Yeah. On, on, on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah the... <laughs> The the Disney Disney didn't do very much of the animation. I mean, there were Disney animators who worked on it, right? Like Andreas oh, was in yep. London and a, a mm-hmm. couple of other great mm-hmm. animators. But yeah, yeah, the version that that Paul was going to be in was completely mm-hmm. Disney animated, and I don't yeah. I don't know if they would have even been able to pull it off. I mean, no, no, no. you can see the Roger Rabbit. What is the short gym? The the Olympics or something that you can oh, see the God, it, it sports goofy. Yes. No, you're right. You're right. If there is one shot of the crowd. And again, that the Disney had worked for so long on a Roger rabbit at that point that, you know, it just sort of, well, we got to do something with the character. So and seriously, folks, if you, you go chase down sports goofy, which, uh, 86, 87, I want to say, and there's one shot of there's a, a rabbit with a bright red nose who's wearing blue pants and suspenders, uh, you know, sort of reacting in a crowd shot. And that's the Disney version of Roger Rabbit. So anyway, we were talking about Paul Rubens. And, and again, it, it would have been a brilliant choice, but it, it didn't happen. But as you mentioned, he's he's wonderful as Locke in Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. And but <laughs> do you want to talk about your own personal favorite uh, get a voice that Paul did for for television animation? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the Batman, the Brave and the Bold show was absolutely uh, genius. It totally it kind was. of it's in the it same was. kind of wheelhouse as Teen Titans Go. D- don't you love mm. it, Jim? It's so fun. It has I, it has such a great look and it has such really funny writing and and but again it makes these brilliant choices uh, for voice casting and, and in fact I'm I'm embarrassed I'm blanking the name uh, oh John Di, uh, DiMaggio who, who does Bender on on Futurama didn't he do Aquaman in in Brave yes, and the and Bold he's, and, he's fabulous as Aquaman. Oh no, no, he's 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 great. But this is the thing; it it really made some fun choices, and and well, uh, this is among the the really fun choices. You know, talk about who Paul did on the show. Well, the setup of the show is that each episode, Batman is paired mm. with another character, and mm. so like Aquaman, like Jim is saying, who's so yep. funny. But so, I think Paul was on a couple of times as Batmite, who's mm. just such an absurd funny character you know this like little bat creature from an, another dimension who just annoys batman but his performance like everything else mm-hmm. paul did is just so heartfelt so funny and so kind of like you know he he mixes this kind of like childlike wonder with this really kind of profound element and mm-hmm. batmite is no different i think it's one of his strongest you know performances and i absolutely adore it so yeah, he. This was this was a tough one for me, Jim. Nah, no, no, no. I get that. I get that. Though I, I will say this much: given the body of work that that Paul left behind, I mean, you know, they, they, he will be entertaining people for for eons yet to come. In fact, as soon as we finish up here, I'm I'm gonna go chase me down some some Batman, the Brave and the Bold, and and spend some time with Batman. So. Well, it was also it's also very funny to watch those old episodes of Pee Wee's 
Playhouse and to see how much they got away with. I mean, the double entendres, the innuendo. I mean, people are freaking out over the stupidest stuff today. I mean, they would absolutely burn down CBS if this show was on today. I mean... (laughs) You're not wrong. Right? You know, uh, though that said that, you know, what's interesting is that, yes, they got a lot away with a lot on the, the, the Saturday morning show on CBS. But like I said, folks, if you get a chance, chase down the uh the showtime thing uh that they did of the original peewee show the the one they did with the troop from the groundlings and boy that's when they really went over the line and in fact i think that's when they found where the line was you can do that you can't do that right i don't know did you see uh jake shears who formerly was the lead singer of the scissor sisters which is a very Mm. gay Band, but he put this mm-hmm. lovely tribute up on Instagram about how he and Pee Wee would always go to Elvira's show at Knott's Berry, not Scary Farm, and hang out with her and then do all the houses. But Paul was so scared of the houses that he would wait for El- Elvira and Jake Shears to go through the houses. And, you know, he, he would be like the mom with the, the bag. And it was just <laughs> the sweetest tribute and s- just spoke to. What a gentle soul Paul was. Oh, no, 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 no. Totally. And, and just the number, I mean, Lorraine Newman was talking about, they, they had been friends for ages. And how, you know, it's like, oh, it's my birthday. It, it now means it's time to get 20 messages from Paul every year. You know, it, you, you would get this tidal wave of recognition from, from Paul. And the interesting thing is all of these people shared that story this week. So there was so many people who valued that Paul Rubens was part of their life and, and really going to miss him now. So again, folks, uh, on behalf of, of Mr. Taylor, uh, to uh, Paul Rubin's extended group of friends and family, we offer our sincerest condolences at this sad time. And But anyway, I, on the other hand, if you need some cheering up, you need some entertainment, uh, may I recommend uh, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, though this week you and Charles go a very different way with the show, right? Well, we have a we have a the second part of our Henry Cerny interview, which is really great. He plays Kittrich mm-hmm. in the original film as well as in Dead Reckoning mm-hmm. Part One. But we have a little mm-hmm. bonus for everybody, which is our Light the Fuse inter- interview with mm-hmm. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem director Jeff Rowe, which of course mm-hmm. is called Light the Ooze. So yes, um, and Jim, I encourage you to go see. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, if it's on your cheapo night at the movies or whatever, just go. Mm-hmm. It's so mm-hmm. good. We'll talk about well, it next no, no, week, no. I and, hope. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, it seems to be off to a great start. Opened in theaters this past Wednesday. Already, you know, as of, of Thursday, has already sold $15 million worth of tickets. So that, that's a great start for an opening weekend. So... Anyway, well, if you're not listening to, uh, well, excuse me, when you're done listening to Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, uh, we have a couple of shows here you might want to check out. We got a Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We had an interesting guest host this week, uh, one Mr. Josh Gad. Let's see, what else? Uh, we also have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, who, by the way, has his own uh, outside podcast that's really well worth checking out that 30 second street that explores the world of advertising 
Brian Gaughan and I will be putting together a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm sometime in the next couple of days. Should be out next week. And I think, let's see, uh, beyond that, tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review well, not just the podcast you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning, but also uh, like the Diffuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Also, if you really, really, really like what you heard here uh, tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. Uh, beyond that, I'm I'm almost afraid to ask Drew because, again, I, I feel like I'm I'm the only one left in the burning building. But but where are you on social media these days? Because I, I still see you tweeting. In fact, I yeah, I'm always well. I, are we tweeting, Jim, or are we xing? What are what are we doing uh, these days? I don't I, even know. I, 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 I'm sorry. Just because Elon Musk decided to rebrand doesn't mean I have to. That's you know, true. Just sort of, I, That's true. You know so. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter or X or whatever. I'm on Instagram. I'm on mm. Blue Sky, and I am on mm. Threads as Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt. Mm. Same handle mm. on every platform. So come find okay. me. Maybe I'm doing something. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Thanks, to Nancy. Uh, we are also on Threads. Uh, likewise, still on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, uh, and also on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Beyond that, I don't know. I still haven't found a new home yet, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this week, folks. So thanks again for listening. And Mr. Chairman, and I will be back again next week. Till then, take care.